As I said, I'm looking to Psalm 3 tonight. Psalm 3. And if I may just read verse 1. Psalm 3, verse 1. Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. And verse 2. Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. There is no help for him in God. So my title or my subject tonight is uh, Peace in the Storm. And I'm speaking about the storms of life. Will it's uh, tranquility in the tempest? You know, it comes to my mind how the Lord Jesus Christ was sleeping in that boat. You know the text in, in the Gospels. There was a storm, but our Savior, nothing, he was imperturbable. Nothing will shake him. Oh, this is exactly what this psalm is all about. Peace in the storms of life. But you see, in this psalm again, we find another psalm that mirrors, it mirrors our souls. You can see yourself face to face as you read this psalm. And I will do my best in the short time we have before us to explain it. Now, for our instruction, my dear brothers and sisters, there are 14, 14 psalms, 14 exclusively attached to the life of David. I'm saying attached to his life. And this one is the first one. We can give you the list of the 14 Psalms exclusively in relationship to the life of David. But this is also the first Psalm with a title. You remember Psalm 1, Psalm 2? We, have, we had to dig a bit to understand what is their background. And remember we said Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 are really the, the whole, just to help you to enter. It's the vestibule to enter. But now it is as if the curtain is removed and now you have access to the palace. You have access to the throne of God as you read it. So first Psalm with a title. And when you look at the subscription or if you prefer the inscription, it's here, look at it. Uh, it's not a part of the verses, but it says a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. So you can see we are given not only the author of the psalm, but we are also given the occasion of the psalm. When did it happen? By whom it did happen? So we are given those details here. But also, this is the first psalm where the name God is mentioned. Look at verse, verse 7. Of course, in verse 2 already, the non-believers said, the non-believers, the ungodly said, there is no help for him from his God. But in verse 7, David says, my God. And remember, as Luther said, God is in the pronouns. God is in the pronouns. 
not just God is our God, you are really strong when you are able to say, my God, my Lord. That's really personal, intimate, individual knowledge of God. And that's what we see in this psalm. And the name God there is the name Elohim. But earlier in Psalm 1, in Psalm 2, you find the word Lord in capital letters and each time in our version here you read the word Lord in all capital letters is the name Jehovah, what is often called the unpronounceable name of God. So, but also Psalm 3 is often called a morning prayer. Morning prayer. So I suggest every day when you wake up, Psalm 3 is the first words you utter to start the day. But Psalm 4, we are going to study Psalm 4 next week, God willing, is an evening prayer before you go to bed. So you see again, I, we don't invent these things or we don't just say them for the sake of telling you. See how the balance, the word of God is so balanced. Whatever trial you are going through, in the morning you wake up, maybe you didn't sleep well. In French they say white nights. It means sleepless night. You had a sleepless night, a white night. You wake up in the morning, go to Psalm 3. And after a long day, a trial day, with the life troubles, you can't sleep at night, go to Psalm 4. You see, we'll come to that, God willing, next week. I'm just trying to uh, give us uh, a flavor of what is happening in this psalm. And actually, it's interesting for me that Jonah, Jonah chapter 2, remembered in the, in the <laughs> belly of the fish there, he remembered Psalm 3. In his prayer. And we want tonight to imbibe David's experience and his confidence in God. We want to absorb David's experience. But my dear friends, as I told you on, uh, on Tuesday in the prayer meeting, you want to know the secret, the secret of understanding a psalm? Read verse 1 and read the last verse. So you can see in this psalm, that will help us to understand the psalm, because he begins with a prayer, verse 1, and verse 8, he closes also with a prayer. It's all there. <clears throat> oh, my dear friends, trials, trials as believers. The word of God tells us in John chapter 16, from the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, in this world we shall have tribulations but he said in the same verse cheer up why because the Lord Jesus Christ conquered the world he overcome the world he conquered the world on our behalf and in Acts chapter 14 we read also that with many tribulations we shall enter in the kingdom of God and I often say, nobody will enter in heaven on a red carpet.
only the Lord Jesus Christ entered as he ascended in heaven in a, on a cloud with the holy angels that was the red carpet but you and me we are called to suffer Philippians chapter 1 we read there it is a part of our calling that is why my dear friends I don't understand I'm sure you do not also the prosperity gospel the name it and claim it it's nowhere in the Bible so the believer saints and sinners princes and peasants we will all experience the trials the troubles and the difficulties of life no one is immune no one no why because here David was a man who was told uh, that the sword, the sword of God will never depart from his house. You know why? Because of his sin with Bathsheba. And I didn't tell you, but the context you want later to enhance your, the study for yourself, you go to 2 Samuel chapter 15, 16, 17, and 18. You see, four chapters condensed for us in just eight verses. <laughs> That's magnificent. Only the genius God can do that. Condensed for us to understand the word of God. So this psalm, I feel, shows us that God was no more displeased with David. Yes, God said the sword shall never depart from your house, but in Psalm 3 here, it is as if David has been forgiven and he is winning again the favor of God. I'm just trying to give you a background quickly before we look at the verses. But you see, when it comes to David, David spent at least 15 years of his life fleeing before King Saul. At least 15 years. But now, he's fleeing, he's running away as a, as a fugitive. He's not against the Philistines, it's not against the Canaanite, it's not against the Moabite or the Amorites, it's not even against uh, running before uh, King Saul, but he's running before his own son, Absalom. Absalom, a head-hearted man, a rebellious young man. And this is a man who gathered a band of men in order to go and get the head of his own father. And you read, you read in 2 Samuel that actually he, he, he stole, he stole the heart of men and the nation to go against his father. And they were casting stones against his father. What rebellion can be greater than just standing against your father? But I want you, before we look at the verses, my dear brothers and sisters, please look at beyond David. You know what? This psalm is telling us a lot about the Lord Jesus Christ. And Every time I teach the Bible, I want to look for the Lord Jesus Christ. Not just nice stories, 
not just nice records or telling you background or technicalities, but we want to see the Lord Jesus Christ in this passage. And to my amazement, though David is being persecuted and ridiculed by, by his own son, you don't find even one complaint. Read the eight verses again. He does not complain at all. And the rebellion against David here illustrates the rebellion of our world against the Lord Jesus Christ. Because remember, David is a prophet. Anything that happened to David that is not sinful, you can draw a parallel between David and the Lord Jesus Christ because David is a type of Christ and he's a prophet. So when you read something about David, it's not just about David. Even David's afflictions are telling us a lot about the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's very important. So Absalom and company like Satan steals the heart of men, even today. My dear friends, you see it every day. You speak to somebody about the Lord Jesus Christ, and very soon you hear about the anti-God propaganda. And the anti-God propaganda says there is no God. But there is God. He created us. He made you and me. He is great. And one day we shall stand before him. And Absalom is so bad. You know, he killed his own half-brother. And now he's taking it up to his own father. But remember, this is us. Who is God? He is our creator. He is our father. But we sin against him. Like, like Absalom. Or maybe I haven't warned you yet. Look at uh, the corroboration of that in Matthew chapter 27. Look at it there. And this will remove any doubt about what is happening when we read the passage, when we read the passage and explain later. As I said, the king here was humiliated and depressed. He fled from Jerusalem to save his own life. And the world in which we live hates the Messiah and the King. The world is still hating the Messiah and the King of Kings. Matthew 27. If you don't mind, I read verse 38. 38. Then were there two thieves. Look at what they were doing. Crucified with him. One on the right hand and another on the left. And they that passed, you see the mob? And they that passed by, uh, by reviled him, wagging, wagging their heads and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. You see the mockery, the snaring upon the king of kings? If thou be the son of God, come down from the cross. We'll come to it in a moment as we explain Psalm, Psalm 3. Because the people, the enemies were saying the same to David. Look at verse uh, 41. Now the religious leaders, likewise also the chief priest mocking him with the scribes and the elders said, He saved others. Himself he cannot save. 
and he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we will believe him. It's like people say, show us somebody who is raised from the dead and we will believe. But here is one, the Lord Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. And in verse, in verse 43, he trusted in God. Let him deliver him now, if he will have him. For he said, I'm the son of God. All this is said in a very, very uh, mocking way. Uh, a scoffing attitude. Verse 44, the thieves also, the robbers, the malefactors, the brigands there, which were crucified with him, cast the same on his, of his teeth. You see what, how the world, this is exactly, my dear friends, what the world is doing still to our Savior, mocking him. But you see, David was pushed out of the city of Jerusalem. Come back to Psalm 3. He was pushed out of the city of Jerusalem. And you remember? I'm sure you do. You read the word every day. Where, where was the Lord Jesus Christ pushed out for, of uh, of? He was crucified where? Out of the camp. Out of the city. You see the parallel again? And the, the mob was, mock, was mocking him. The religious leaders were mocking him. The malefactors were mocking him. This is exactly what we find with uh, Absalom and his men. He was able to rally to his cause thousands and thousands of men against his own father. The text actually from 2 Samuel says, all the nation. And David had to find himself in a cave. And he was so ashamed that we read that with the men, they had to cover their faces. The king was pushed out of the city. Oh, my dear friends, there is so much. I'm sorry to have given you all these details, but now we come to the psalm. There is a natural division in the psalm. I don't invent, invent anything as I keep telling you. I just look at the text. Now you can easily divide Psalm 3 in four parts. Two verses each section. But I want to follow tonight the natural division given to us in Psalm 3. You don't have to be a magician or a scholar to find it. There is a word there that is repeated three times. It uh, uh, rhythms the psalm. And you find it, I will show it to you, in verse 2, in verse 4, and then in verse 8. It is the word sila. 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 Three times there. So that's why I said I will just follow the natu natural division of that. It is a wonderful word. And actually, it means, it has many meanings. When you find, it is found 73 times in the Psalms. And you find it also in Habakkuk. The prophet Habakkuk, you find it there in his Psalm. You know, Habakkuk have written a Psalm, a minor prophet, three times. And the word Selah comes when a mighty, a very strong thoughts are given very strong uh, uh, thoughts are given and it is a call make a pause consider think 
meditate, reflect. That is the main. So following that, our three headings, I don't want to lose you. Here are the three headings we will follow. Number one, conflict. There is a conflict. Number two, there is a confession. And number three, confidence. So let's go slowly through these items. And I know we always go against uh, run after the time, but I will try to condense because it is so rich. So let us look at the first one, which is really the conflict. Look at verse one and two. So conflict verse one and two, the confession is verse uh, four to five, and, or three to four, and then the, the um, uh, confidence, verse five to eight. So verse one and two, conflict. There is a word there again that is repeated three times. I read it for you. Lord, verse one, Lord, how are they increased? The Hebrew there, how are they many? That's the word there. How are they many that trouble me? Many, second time, are they that rise up against me? And verse 2, many. Look at verse 6. We are given a number there. Verse 6. How many are they? 10,000. You see? Many. Multitude. A multitude of enemies are running after the, the, the Greek word for many there in verse 6, the, the 10,000 there, is the word we have it in English, myriad. A myriad of enemies were following David on this, on this occasion. So it was not just his son, but many, many enemies. He was encircled by a multitude of enemies, of foes. The coup against David was by his own son, as I said. This is a, a, an unashamed young man. You know, he went even with, a, with one of his father's concubines. So you can see that he is an incest, this young man. So when, when you hear about sins people are committing, please, my dear friend, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. And there is nothing under the sun. All what we hear today on the media and the newspapers, it's already here. So you can see this was a wide extent rebellion. But again, look at our Lord Jesus Christ. How many came to arrest him in the garden? Many, many, a battalion, a brigade came to arrest him in the garden of Gethsemane. How many were crying out, crucify, crucify. The mob was standing there. Multitude we read in the word of God. But my dear friends, have you forgotten that we too, we have our enemies? Oh, you know them by heart, I'm sure. We have the world is our enemy. The flesh is our enemy. Satan is our enemy. But there is one more, one last enemy that needs to be conquered. You know what is that enemy? Tell me. So. Death. Death is going to be conquered. So the world, the flesh, Satan or the devil, and death. 
Death is going to be conquered. But now, still in the conflict, look at the audacity of non-believers, the enemies of David. Look at it in verse 2. Look what they are telling David. And you see it there. And they were taunting David. Where is his God? Will God rescue him? And it's like the people of the world, they are telling, when you and me, we go through trials, look at him. He claims to be a follower of the living God. Where is his God now? There are even people who are saying that God created the world and has forsaken the world. And th these are the people. He is not the, that concerned, this God. They were full of contempt, the people telling David these things. In verse 2, many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. There is no help for him. That's what they said to the Lord Jesus Christ. We read the passage in Matthew chapter 20, 27. If he believed in God, let him cry to God. Will God rescue him? <clears throat> you know, right, right in his nose, they were under his nose, they were telling him this thing. <coughs> and our enemies believe that we are lost cases. Do you know that? <laughs> I remember when I found the Lord Jesus Christ, they thought I was the fool of the village. You know? Laugh at you, mock at you. <coughs> oh, has he lost his mind? You know, that's how they look at you. And uh, you see that with David here. The foes made fun of David. And Absalom, look at something very interesting there. I, I hope I can show you the play of words there. When they said in verse 2, look at verse 2, when they said, there is no help, the word help there is exactly, the, there is no salvation. And the, the Hebrew word for salvation, I, I put it simply, there is no Yehoshua. That how does, uh, what do you hear? There is no Jesus for him. And the Hebrew is really Yehoshuata. You see, it's, it's similar even to Arabic. He has no Savior. But we will come to it. Look at verse 8. I anticipate verse 8. What is David saying there? The mockers, the scoffers are saying there is no salvation for him. And what did David say? Thou art my savior. Salvation belongeth to the Lord. <laughs> what a difference. What a difference. This is for you, my dear friend, and for me. When they are telling us, <coughs> you have no savior, you have no helper. Oh, I have a great helper. I have the Lord Jesus Christ with me, and he's sufficient in all these things. Oh, my dear friends, the people did the same again to our Savior. Where will the help come from? What to do facing hard days and hard times? Now, here is the answer. I don't promise we will get to the end of the psalm, but just even if you read, you don't need to do any deep study. When you look at Psalm 3 later, I have jotted here just underlining in my Bible, nine attributes of God. And David says, the help of God will come from God's attributes. If you don't mind, I will just list them for you. Everything is in the text. 
we look at them. Number one, so that leads us to our second heading, David's confession. David's confession. So what to do when facing hard days and hard times? And David gives us the example. Look at verse 3 there. The, the, it's very emphatic. The, we call it the powerful conjunction of coordination. But they are saying there is no help for him. But in verse 3, you see it there. He remembers and rehearses God's attribute. Here is the first one. So I, I list for you nine. There may be 10, 11, but you can discover them for yourself. Just as I highlight them in my Bible here. Number one, he is the Lord my God. You see, the Lord my God, not just our God. And you can read it in verse, in verse 3 there and in verse 7. David's faith didn't fail. He is a transformed man. Number two, David says, Thou art my shield. The same God said to Abraham. You, you, I'm sure you know the passage. Genesis chapter 15 verse 1. God said to Abraham, I will be your shield. And God said the same to the nation of Israel in the book of Deuteronomy. I will be your shield. And you know what a shield is for? It's for protection, it's for safety, it's for security. And the, the shield here, the enemies, there is a picture here. The enemies are surrounding David, but God's shield is surrounding <laughs> David. It's a beautiful picture. So that is the second attribute here. And uh, uh, take up the shield of faith, we read in Ephesians chapter 6. Defensive and, and offensive. The shield of faith. And number three, David says, Thou art my glory. Oh, there is no glory in this world. You see, my dear friends, even if David lost everything, riches, the throne, he could say, God is my glory. You know, men, men can give you glory for a short time. Very soon the, the honeymoon is over. <laughs> it's sad, but that's our fallen nature. But even if you lose everything in this world, oh, my dear friend, that's our confession. God is our Lord and our God. But God is also our shield and our glory. Number four, look at it there. My honor, verse three, my honor. David knew God personally. Number five, verse three, God is the lifter of our head. You see, David's head was down. <laughs> the enemies put him down. But God lift up our head, dignity restored. You remember Psalm, Psalm 23? I believe it is said there that God prepares a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Psalm 23 verse 5. Or oh, if you don't mind, we are not far. Look at Psalm 18. Psalm 18. And that's a wonderful psalm. You can see what is said again about, about what God represents for us. Psalm 18, verse 3. Verse 3. 
and it says there that I will cast upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, so I shall be saved from mine enemies. And in verse 2, look at verse 2, I was looking actually for verse 2, the Lord is my, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I will trust, my buckler and the horn of my salvation and my high tower. I think this is sufficient for us tonight. You know, just to think about all these attributes of God. Who is like God? Please come them later for your own soul's sake. And let's continue. You see, when God lifts up your head, who can put you down? Who can bow your head down if God put your head up? That's why, again, when I think about the Lord Jesus Christ, I often say that I believe Christ didn't go to the cross head down. He went there willingly. He went there head up. Has God forsaken him? No, he was risen from the dead on the third day. But look at more in Psalm 3. The sixth one, the answer of prayer. Verse 4, verse 4, I cried unto the Lord with my voice. My dear friends, you see, prayer is not murmuring. It's not murmuring. I cry out to the Lord with my voice. Let your prayers be heard. Utter them, voice them before the Lord. I must cry to him. God heard him. Look the verses from his holy hill, from his throne of grace, from his mercy seat. All those things are listed for us. And it's interesting that God answered David while David was not in Jerusalem. <laughs> so, so you don't need to be in a specific place in order to pray. You don't need to be on any mountain. Some people believe on this mountain and that mountain. You know the text from John chapter 4. What pleases God is the worshippers who worship God in spirit and in truth. That's all. Oh, look at number 7, verse 5. God is the sustainer. He is the upholder. God's upholding power becomes our pillow. Verse 5 there. Do you see it? For the Lord sustaineth me. Number seven, verse seven. God is the avenger. Have I lost you? The Lord my God, number one. Number two, he is our shield. Number three, he is our glory. Number four, he is our honor. You see, you can count them. Number five, he is the lifter up of our heads. Number, number six, he's the one who answers our prayers. Number seven, he's the sustainer, the upholder. And as I said, the, the power of God is like a sweet pillow under your head. You see, number eight, look at number eight there. He's, he's the, the avenger. Revenge belongs to whom? To the Lord. Yes, to God. Vengeance, retribution belong to him alone. Look at the last one. There is more. The Lord, my salvation, verse 8. Christ alone is the possessor of salvation. Do you see that? No Mary, no saints, but Christ alone. In verse 8, salvation belongeth unto the Lord. So the enemies of David said, 
there is no help for him with God. But David said, no, there is hope for me because salvation belongs to God. My dear friends, let's close just to give you feetings on the confidence, our third heading, confidence of David in verse 5, 6, 7, and 8. You see, verse 5, I read it for you. I lay me down and slept and awaked for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me roundabout. <laughs> I think I think if I have one man as my enemy, I cannot sleep. <laughs> but when you have 10,000, 10, <laughs> but you see, he went to sleep. So you see, numbers are nothing where God is. Please, that's a good application. Why? Because the Lord we read in the Old Testament is the Lord of armies, the Lord of hosts. And I'm sure I don't need to read your mind. All of us here, we had some sleepless nights. Oh, ruminating, ruminating things of the day. Somebody must have upset us. Somebody must have said something. It's not just about age, lacking of sleep, but even the young man, the young woman, you know. And here it is. David woke up and in the morning, because God sustained him. My dear friends, it is God who gives us a lasting peace, not our skills or formula, you know, taking this medication, doing this therapy, and so on. All these are men, men ideas. But you see, David didn't use any therapy. The best therapy to prepare you to sleep is prayer. And next... Uh, 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 week with Psalm 4. Psalm 4 is called the spiritual sleeping pill. And it will help us. Oh, I can't sleep with a tranquil mind knowing who is in charge, that God is in charge. Look at the triumph. Triumph, verse 7 and 8. The enemy arise, verse 1 and 2. The believer arise in prayer, and in verse 7, look at it. Arise, O Lord. So you see, again, we could go through another trio. The enemy arise, the believer arise in prayer, and now David is saying, Arise, Lord. Stand up, Lord, against my enemies. And save me, O my God. You see what God does with our enemies? Just imagine a lion without teeth, toothless lion. <laughs> Without fangs, fangless lion. Do you fear a teethless dog, a wild beast, a bear without teeth? <laughs> I won't fear him. And that happened because Satan is a defeated foe. The Lord Jesus Christ defeated him at the cross of Calvary. And he is chained. We read in Revelation chapter 20 that he is chained for a thousand years. All this gospel age in which we live now, Satan cannot deceive the nations anymore. The elect will come and Satan will not be able to stop them. That's the meaning. So you see, everything is here for us, my dear friends. The believer will sleep the sleep of death also, 
like Jesus Christ, but he will raise from the dead. He will raise from the dead. Now in closing, if you don't mind, just to take two minutes, our time is over, just to show you some parallels again between what happened to David and what happened to the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, everything David is telling us is pointing to the great-grandson of David. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. So quickly, really. And it is here. When David says in verse 7, For thou hast smitten all mine enemies upon the cheekbone. That's a big humiliation. You know, when you slap somebody in some cultures, in, in the Semitic culture, you slap somebody on his cheekbone, it is a big humiliation. And that is what God is doing with our enemies. But it is not for us to ask God to judge our enemies. That's one difference between David and the Lord Jesus Christ. You remember Christ at the cross? What did he say? Father, forgive them. Thank you. Father, forgive them. And that's one parallel of, of difference between David and the great son of David. Now, we too, we don't call upon, I know some of the charismatics, they do that, they call upon fire and brimstones upon the enemies, but we don't do that. Revenge, vengeance, retribution belong to the Lord. What did the Lord Jesus Christ said in the Sermon on the Mount? Pray for your, your enemies. Do good to them. Be merciful unto them. Show them compassion. So that is really our calling. So uh, Christ did not take things in his own hand. It comes to my mind, you know the text, 1 Peter chapter 2, Christ being reviled, reviled not, but he committed himself to God who judgeth righteously. That's our Savior. What a difference again between our Savior and, and David. And the greatest sleep aid is to know that the Lord Jesus Christ will raise you from the dead. And the appeal is that our God never sleep nor slumber. You know the text, Psalm 121. He doesn't sleep while you sleep. You know, sleep is an act of faith. Who tells you when you sleep tonight and you'll wake up tomorrow? <laughs> but you sleep knowing that your God does not sleep and he does not slumber. So that is the, the sleeping pill for you. That God watches over your life. All the time, not just sometimes. But here it is. The saint can rest and rise without any perturbation in his life. It is all because of faith in Christ. Lastly, look at verse 8. Verse 8. And so far, uh, later, you read again Psalm 3, you will see all seven verses is I, me, my. But when you come to verse 8, there is a change. Look at it in verse 8. Salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon me. Thy blessing is upon I. No, David is thinking about other people. Oh, my dear friends, I wish I had more. I can tell you more. But you see, our duty is to think about other people, especially the lost 
especially those who are outside that kingdom, the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And the blessing is not just for David, but the fears, the trials are not just for David. The blessing also is for David and for us. The trials are for David and they are for us. You see, but in all our trials, 1 Peter chapter 5 says, Casting all your cares upon him, for he careth for you. That's, uh, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. I'm sorry to have kept you long, but may the Lord bless his word into our souls this evening. Let's uh, close our time together. We